The rich have always made the rules. Rules about tax savings, social security, required minimum distributions, financial do's and don'ts. But they don't tell you what those rules are. Because if you knew the rules, you could take advantage of them like the wealthy do. Where do you go to learn about these rules? And how do you take advantage of them for your benefit? Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour with host Arif Halaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. That's Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halavi, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, total financial. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me this morning. I'm Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour, brought to you by TFS Financial Insurance Services. Look, our job is to help you uh, stay out of uh, stay out of debt, get out of debt, manage your money, plan for your future, live a life in retirement, live a life period. Where, where you could say, okay, you know, I've ridden this horse as long as I could. The journey's over. This is where I'm stopping. But it doesn't mean life is over. It doesn't mean you, you stop living. It doesn't mean you stop producing or produ- being productive. What it means instead is you just have to do things a little differently, right? In other words, you're not living the same way as you did yesterday when retirement happens. You might still do what we call semi-retirement. I'll get to that here in a bit. Uh, but I also want you to understand there's going to be things that will impact you. So you should be involved. You should be paying attention to what's happening in the media and in, in world politics. You should not just retreat into your home. We see that a lot. A lot of what retirees get to the place where the four walls of their home become like prison. And today, remember, we've spoken about this before. It's easier than ever between emails, meaning you can communicate you can do the selfies and, hey, look, at, I've got a happy face. right? We see it with newscasters all the time. They take selfies. It's called being on the news. right? The top half of them is made up with makeup. Their hair is done. They have a suit and tie, but underneath they're wearing shorts. What you can't see, they're wearing jeans or tennis shoes, flip-flops. That's like a lot of you. You live a life where you let people see the outside, see what I want you to see when I'm retired, but I might have enough money. I might have enough Uh, dollars, uh, bills are paid, uh, life is comfortable. All of those things work. And yet when the moment comes and you turn around left and right, the the four walls become a prison because you can get FedEx in the mail or UPS. You can uh, order on uh, online Amazon or, or eBay. You could buy anything, anytime, anywhere. You could bring in movies. You don't have to go to the movie and actually deal with the human being. You can bring in food so you don't have to go to the grocery store and deal with a human being. You can bring in a restaurant food, right? Uber Eats and Postmates. You don't ever have to Grubhub. Those things come to you with a hot cooked meal. You can bring in almost, well, maybe everything you can. Walk through the door. So you have to fight that. You have to be aware first that it's a thing. And then on the other side of that, you turn around and you you, you look for ways to Say, hey, here's my personality. Here's what my weakness is. My weakness is to watch daytime television. 
or I have a tendency to sleep in till 11, 10, 11 noon. I have a tendency to, and whatever that is, overeat, buy junk food, be lazy. And part of the happiness, part of the, the goal in retirement is to not exist, right? I used to say people would sit in a rocking chair and wait to die at 65 years old, right? Collect your social security, your pension. You're on the porch. Ma gets you something. Little kids, the little chitlins running around, and that's about it. That's your day. That's your weekend. And it becomes a lifetime of Saturdays. No bother even washing your clothes because you didn't soil them. You just sat there. So you have to create purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. Right? The loneliest people in the world are in some of the largest cities. Very counterintuitive, isn't it? You might think to yourself, well, gosh, it's pretty lonely living out in the sticks or in a small town. And in many cases, it's exactly the opposite. So I want retirement to be a part of something that's real. What I don't want you to do is to be subject to what the market does. So far away in another land, the stock market's up, the stock market's down, right? Wall Street or Chicago or wherever you happen to to have your, quote, brokerage headquarters. It doesn't matter. And your advisor, a very nice person, I'm sure, because you wouldn't be working with them if they weren't, right? Today, there's many choices. It's never the person, almost never the person. It's the product. It's the way that if you put money, do you want to have some or part of your money safe? That's the bottom line. If you do, if you want to keep some or part of it safe, there are products and services out there. They're not right for everybody. Sometimes you guys will give me a call. You call at the office. Uh, Janie's wonderful. She'll set up a time to, to call or talk, or sometimes I'm able to just pick up the phone. You'll say, hey, uh, this is what I have. I go, great. Well, we're not right for you, but thank you. Like, what do you mean? Go, well, it seems like you're already taken care of. You have all the stuff that we can help you with. Oh, really? Yep. All right. Well, thanks for calling. And they always say something nice about the show. <laughs> like, hey, I'm better looking in person than I am on the air. I always appreciate that one. Now, in reality, guys, you need to have the ability to have predictability, not in the day-to-day because that's draining, but predictability in the way to pay for your day-to-day a systematic, a safe, a comfortable way, safer, I don't know what the right legal term is, but where you're not subject to the market going up and down and then your retirement going up and down, right? When you're working, your food, shelter, clothing, that comes from a paycheck. And for most people, that was a predictable amount. Goes up and down? No, it doesn't. It's the same amount per hour, per week, so uh, salary, whatever it is. But what happens in, in retirement your, your savings, your, your retirement accounts, those become part of your income. And so as some of those dollars become part of your income, that's when you need the predictability. That's when you need a safeguard. And it's funny, I, I spoke at a group recently and I said, hey, uh, finish my sentence. <laughs> and they, okay, they looked at me like, really? I said, finish my sentence. Buy low, sell. That's right. Hi. We all know that. I don't even have to tell you. It's, it's almost like saying, you know, singing a nursery rhyme. You remember it. Like riding a bike. It doesn't, it doesn't leave you. Buy low, sell high. If you've been investing a dollar, if you've been saving a penny from day one, you know that that's the mantra. It's never buy at the bottom, sell at the top. So then you ask yourself, why aren't I getting phone calls from my financial professionals that say, hey, we're uh, high, so you should be selling. Nobody says that right? They just say, keep it in the market because the more risk you have, 
the better off I am. The more risk you have, the more money I can charge. So I don't want you to be in a position to where your financial life, right, is subject to what the market's doing. Your financial life is sitting there saying, well, at least if the market goes up, I have a chance to, to make money. Everybody wants to win. Everybody's greedy. Right? We, all, we all want to make more. If you could double your money in 15 minutes. The wise amongst us go, ha, 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 what's the catch? And then you look at it and you say, okay, really, that's the catch? Yeah. All right, I'm good with that. Then I'm okay with it. If it is your retirement account, you have to be okay with that. All right, here's a couple of ideas. I want you to think about this. When you are buying a car and you're closer to the retirement age or it's the last probably new car you're going to buy because you're not going to commute as much, you're going to drive, your miles will cut back, all of those things. If you're at a place where you're buying what you might think is your last new car, then I need you to to think about this not from the car that you need today, but as we get older, as our spouse gets older, as we may be taking in our our parents or our in-laws or an aunt or somebody that we are going to care for, the backseat of this car or the trunk needs to be able to fit the walker or the wheelchair. It needs to be a little easier getting in and out. Right? Well, let's go to the extremes. A big four-wheel drive truck or a little tiny two, two-seater sports car. Both of those are difficult if it's your main or only car when you are retired. Because there may be a day when you can't get in and out where your hips and knees, right? Or your spouse says, I'm not stepping into that thing. Or I can't reach up there. I, I don't have the strength to step up on the, the, the step or the stool to get up to the next spot. So think about this as, as a transition. Nothing wrong with it. If you can afford two cars, then I'm happy for you. I'm okay with you getting to the place where you say, listen, the only way that I can afford two cars is adjust my lifestyle. Well, then you've got to ask yourself, is it worth it? But I don't want you to deny yourself. Don't be at a place where you say, well, I'm not going to have uh, the, the car of my dreams. Instead, I'm going to keep my $2 million in the bank forever just in case. Well, goodness, you should enjoy life a little bit. This is the youngest and healthiest you probably are ever going to be. You know that, right? Because it's the youngest and healthiest you're ever going to be, you need to think twice about sacrificing or delaying gratification because you're kind of there. But at the same time, buying the fancy four-wheel drive that you always wanted, it's a great vehicle, love them, all of them. I'm partial to Dodges. You might be partial to, to Fords or Chevys. Whatever it is, that's fine. But keep in mind that this part of your, your life is about enjoying it. But this purchase of a car, I would say, can you afford the new insurance? Can you afford the new car payment? If you can, then continue. But remember, you're not buying a car for today. If you're 65, 70, 75 years old, if you're in that age bracket, the chances of you having at least one of you, if you're married especially, right, one of your four parents still alive is pretty high. I don't know what the number is, 50, 60, 75% maybe of having at least one of your four parents, you and your wife, you and your husband's, that means you may end up taking care of them. So getting them around and transporting them is key. Please don't forget that. That's important. Okay, semi-retirement. We've talked about this before. When you are getting ready to semi-retire, what does that mean? If you get to the place where you say, okay, I am, I'm going to test it out. I'm going to semi-retire. I'm going to slow down. Right? So as you start to reduce your income that's coming from your job, maybe it's time to turn on Social Security. Maybe it's time to start withdrawing from your retirement accounts. 
Now, right now, the rules are age 70 and a half. It may change to 72. There's a bill before Congress in the next uh, 60 days, right? Now that the impeachment thing has failed, basically. It's a joke. Nobody's, it's almost like it's a bad story. You know, nobody takes it seriously. It's, it's that brother-in-law you just kind of roll your eyes at. Yeah, whatever. But they have some power, certainly. But they're just not believable, right? They're not credible. They're hypocrites. And you just look at it and you say, all right, eventually, whatever. But here's the problem. Here, here's the situation for you. You're going to be in a place where some or part of your money needs to be safe because you are semi-retired. When you are semi-retired, you're going to have to start withdrawing money from someplace else, maybe. And when you do, this is a test. Can I live? Can I create a lifestyle that is not, well, I don't know, unacceptable for you and your spouse, you and your loved ones in retirement? Uh, here's a great example. Yeah, we can retire, but we're just not going to be able to travel like we used to. Do you want to travel? Well, yeah, that'd be great. Well, then maybe you shouldn't retire. Right? Maybe you're going to get to the place where you, where you say, okay, I am ready to stop working for money, but it's the only real friends I have. And, and those people, as much as I, right, the, the show The Office, remember that TV show? I, I've only watched maybe a handful of, of shows, bumper, you know, end to end. I've watched a lot in pieces, but I've only watched a handful end to end. But what they've done is they picked the stereotypical people in each office. Right. You have the, the stereotypical, uh, uh, I don't know, ditzy person. You have the stereotypical uh, uh, <laughs> overconfident, but uh, really lack self-awareness person, et cetera. Right. Well, th- those are your friends. Those are people you call acquaintances. That is your social circle. <laughs> I'm sorry. Some of you don't want to admit it. But when you get to the place where you're leaving them. It, you have to ask yourself. Am I going to have another social circle? Somebody else that I can be a part of? And look, when you watch a show like The Office, this is pretty good. Uh, it, it, it's like gambling, I'll, I'll tell you. Right? When, when you sit at... Uh, I, I don't know how to gamble. That's not my thing. I don't know how to play cards. I, I barely know some of the rules. But if you sit at the poker table, and in that story, you can't find who the pansy is, right? The person who's going to lose all their money, the person who... Who doesn't know what? The, if you're looking around the table and within a couple of minutes you don't know who the pansy is, then it's you, right? You're like, oh, it's not him. It's not him. Huh? Can't really find him. It's you. <laughs> well, in the office, right? When you when you look around, and you look for that stereotypical person, and there's one missing, and you look around and you say, well, okay, that, that's not that. Per- huh. Maybe it's you. And and there's a part of you that loves being in that passive-aggressive or in that world, right? There's a reason people still complain uh, about things and yet still go to them, still go, yeah, you know, da, 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 and they go. Husband and wives, they argue and bicker, yet they never leave each other. There's a reason for that. I, I don't, this is not psychology 101, but just know that in an office environment, it's healthy to have interac- interaction where you have to compromise. Negotiate, settle, stand up for what you believe in, put your foot down. And when you lose that friction, then you stop becoming sharp. So semi-retirement can be a great time for you to go out and test whether or not the other areas of your life fit a social circle 
that satisfies that. Right? I mean, I think that's important because, look, when people put all of their eggs in one basket and the market drops not once, but we've had many, many years, I think it's what, four, five, six, six years out of the last 20, something like that, where we've had very bad years, negative years. And when you've had five or six out of 20 years, that's a huge period of time. That's a lot of insecurity. And when that happens, you may be forced back to work. So if you've negotiated your way out of there, you've checked all the boxes, you're satisfied, and yet the market conditions, something that happens on the other side of the country or the world, decides that you now have to go back to work because you just lost a third or half of your retirement account, that, that's not cool, right? I mean, you don't want to be forced to do something. Now you've left, you've semi-retired, you did that for a couple of years, you consulted, worked per diem, worked part-time, volunteered, whatever it was, and as you're slowly disengaging, you're losing connections, friends, coworkers. Oh, her and I grew up together in this industry, and, and now we are together. Well, now all of a sudden that's a different person. People don't even remember your name. Three years go by, technology's changed. And now you pop back in and you say, hey, I'm here. I need to go back to work. They say, well, you're going to start at the bottom, number one. Number two is the 29-year-old is your boss. <laughs> you're like, what? I have shoes older than 29 years old. What do you mean? What is this person doing here? And, and tough. Now you're trying to figure out how to create, right? How to build this next part of your life. So I want you to prepare ahead of time if you can, whether that's buying rental property, paying down your mortgage, building your savings account, or in my opinion, eliminating bad debt. So in other words, automobiles, credit cards, student loans, eliminate those. Now you might think student loan debt, what does that have to do with anything? Well, uh, after the break, we're going to come back. I'm going to get into what's happening with some of the colleges and some of the issues, but just know for a minute, there's 116, I think that's the last number, 120,000 people collecting Social Security and their wages are being garnished. Their Social Security wages. In other words, you thought you were supposed to get 1000 a month and you get 750 You thought you were going to get uh, 2000 a month and you receive 750 R- Right? So w- what do you mean? Can they do that? Thank you, President Obama. Right? When they think that your wages can be garnished, when you think your wages can be garnished, because you cannot create uh, another way to earn income, you have to ask yourself, wait a second. How can they, how can they take that? I worked decades. Tough. Tough. Student loan debt, right? You went back to work and when you, in, in the year 2000 because you were 52 years old. You lost your job. You said, I got to go back and get a master's degree. So you head over to Pepperdine or USC or I don't care, Loyola. You pick the spot. And they charge you $100,000 for an MBA. By the time you're done, you pay for some of it, student loans for some of it. You have a couple of bad years. Now you can't get out of the debt, right? It's the cycle that never ends. You send them a bone now and again, here's $20, here's 2000 whatever. And then now the in 2009, a guy who was, wasn't even, what, a state legislature in 2000, I don't know what he was doing, comes along and says, ah, I've got an idea. I've never held a job in my life. 
But I have an idea. I'm going to make it so that the government now takes over student loans. And everybody voted for him for whatever reason you voted for him, right? To assuage guilt, past sins, to feel like, you know, you make a difference, right? You can say you did it, historic, uh, whatever. But understand something. Math does not include hope and change. You can't hope that 6 plus 6 is 27 or 1 plus 1 is 9. No, no, no. It is. 1 plus 1 is 2. I, I don't know. I didn't make the rules. Ask Dr. Algebra, right? He, he's the one that put it all together. The, so when that occurred and he came up with a good idea, which was, oh, by the way, we're going to now garnish your Social Security checks if you don't pay it. And what else can the IRS do? When you're, when you're delinquent and, and behind on debt. They can take your driver's license, your passport. Maybe they can even take something like your nursing license or your license to practice medicine. Maybe even your contractor's license. Anything where the government gives you permission to earn a wage they can, or to leave. Right? You don't need change. You just can't leave. And you can't drive. And you can't work. Right? Debtor's prison... You don't need debtor's prison. Your house is a prison. It's much easier. Listen, years ago, politicians figured out we don't need to lock you up in jail. We just need to shut off your electronic ability to to travel or to get around or to buy gas for your car or to get your bus pass to work. Right? That's all they have to do. It's not a conspiracy game. When somebody else can control your movement, what you buy, what you can't buy, what associations you can be a part of, you will pay that debt, right? It's much better than locking you up and waiting for your family to come and bring, bring money. That's what debtor's prison was. Somebody had to care about you enough to come and pay your debt so you can get out of jail. And if they didn't, oh, you stayed and you lingered. So today, listen, the whole system of them being able to garnish social security checks is beyond shocking to me. Because I I always thought that was a sacred cow, right? That was the stuff nobody touched. And your income, social security debts, are garnishable by what? By the IRS. Don't pay a credit card. Eh, difficult. Very difficult to go after your... uh, your social security check. Now they can take your bank account. So if you have money sitting in your bank account, maybe they can take that. But I do want you to be very careful. All right, listen, this is a, a couple of things. I didn't give my phone number out yet. Triple eight, that's 888-99-RETIRE. 888-997-3847. You guys have heard me talk uh, on many occasions about Dennis uh, Prager and Larry Elder. Dennis has a great movie out. It's called No Safe Spaces. And I want you guys to, to see that. See it this weekend. See it the coming week, this holiday season. You need to get out, support, right? If you can't send money to Prager University, I understand it's tough. It, it might be tough times for you. Maybe you've chosen, you've committed uh, your funds for the season to go somewhere else. But you do need to go see No Safe Spaces. You need to let Hollywood know. You need to let others know that this movie matters. And I think one way to do it is, and I've seen it. Uh, we were uh, at an event at a viewing out in uh, Burbank, California. An amazing opportunity. Really gave me a chance to sit down and say, okay, what is this all about? 
And I saw it with an unbiased mind, and I took somebody, a couple people with me that are not political, right? They, they, they kind of don't really care. They're, they're not engaged. They have other things that they're worried about, but it's just not happen- it doesn't happen to be this. And were they blown away? Beyond. Beyond. Okay? If you're worried about things like student loans and other non-tax debts, the government can take 15% of your Social Security as long as it doesn't drop below $750. Tell me where that's okay. $750. Well, that's good. You can live in Mexico if your passport still works, right? Because you're not going to live here. All right, guys. Hey, uh, stay with me after the break. I'm going to get into some of the colleges and universities that are going out of business. How does that affect you that are retired? You're like, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Maybe it does. As Forbes is reporting, half of them are going out of business or they expect half to have uh, serious issues. Big problems tr- coming up. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. I'm Eric Hallaby. Stay with me on the Total Financial Hour. This is AM870, The Answer. Strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Now Arab has a plan for me. Higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably. Thanks to Arab Halabi. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, total financial hour. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Arif Hallaby. Thanks for staying with me. Talking about your family's financial life. Uh, look, we're talking about all sorts of things when it comes to uh, things that are going to affect you in retirement. You know, for a lot of folks, it is not just about uh, saving your own money, getting to the place, sitting in a rocking chair waiting to, to pass away. You know, it's, it's a big deal because this is about living. It's about experiences. You're going to spend your time in retirement, hopefully in having more experiences rather than accumulating more stuff. You know, there's a reason that the baby boomer generation, uh, in addition to uh, changing the landscape politically and economically, etc., it also led to the rise of self-storage units. <laughs> you could do the map, do an overlay, the birth rates plus 35 years and self-storage units, right? When did you start accumulating stuff? As opposed to before, when you had an 870-square-foot house, two-bedroom, one-bath, and a one-car garage, right? That's what your parents, maybe your grandparents' generation had. And what took place was you had maybe two pairs of shoes or three, One for Sunday that you didn't wear except for Sunday or nice events, weddings, funerals. One to work in the yard and and maybe one to to walk around the house. Today, look at folks' closets. Look at their garage. I'm I'm guilty of that just like you. We're not any different. But the rise of self-storage units means that stuff became important as part of the the working years as part of the, the maturation process of us as individuals. And then all of a sudden, as time started shifting, now you're retired, the accumulation of stuff, you start, you start shedding it, right? You start getting rid of it, giving it out. Who would like this? Garage sale, giveaway, throwaway, doing things like that. Because now the time is about accumulating experiences. It's a shift going away from 
stuff, things that are monetarily purchased for something tangible in your hand, to the intangible, the lifestyle that is better. What will impact that? What can change that? Well, we've talked about that. Undo risk in your retirement accounts. I think a lot of people have more risk than they ever knew what to do with. I don't think you should have risk in a place where you don't receive the benefits of a tax write-off or writing off the fees. Right? You understand that. The folks that make the rules say you can't write off the losses in your retirement account and you can't write off the fees in your retirement account. And if, and if you can't do that in a traditional way, what most people do, then what is risk there for? Especially if you're not buying. If you're buying every single day, if you're buying every single week, then as you're doing that, you're accumulating whatever it is, more shares, more pieces, more parts. But once you're done and the market just takes your account up, we're rich, we're poor. We made it, we lost it. We're up, we're down. And there's no benefit already, then you need to ask yourself, what's the story? What's going to impact me? Especially if you're smart and you've taken a, a substantial sum or all of your money, part of it, whatever it is, out of the market risk, then what's happening on the other side of the equation? And here's what it is. I think issues like pension problems, bailouts, and I think issues and, and, and concerns with college, both are different ends of the spectrum, right? A 20-year-old and a 70-year-old. Those are the two places where you're going to see the biggest impact, in my opinion, in your retirement. So let's start with one. Let's start with colleges. We have a, a great story here. Forbes has put out a, a story, and it says, uh, and so is U.S. News and World Report. Forbes, Forbes is exactly a year ago. And it says, well, half of all colleges really close in the next decade? Right. You, first of all, you understand in, in the First Amendment right, you can say anything. Is Joe really an alien? All you have to do, you could put it in the front page. You just put a question mark after it. And hey, it's First Amendment. You, you don't have to prove it. You're not saying it. You're just questioning it. Can you say Trump impeachment, right? With BuzzFeed and Yahoo News and... All they had to do was put it out there. And then I quote you that quoted him that quoted her. And all of a sudden, because six people quoted one person, it must be true. So take all of this stuff with a grain of salt, as they say. But part of that is this. We're seeing it over and over again. A list of private colleges that have closed in recent years. June of this year. An internal, uh, I guess, industry publication called Inside Higher Education from June of this year, says there's a list of private, nonprofit, public, community college, four-year colleges that are merging and that are closing across the country. Here's one from March of this year, U.S. News and World Reports. College closing signal something very important. The higher education apocalypse is coming. Now, what does that mean? Here's what I think you need to understand. You might say, eh, who cares if there's less colleges? They, they kind of all are, are, I don't know, homogeneous when it comes to thought anyway. Heaven forbid you think differently. They all have to think the same. There's no uh, mix of ideas or thoughts. And heaven forbid you have any safe, right? We talked about safe space. You have any kind of conversation. They get violent because mommy didn't ever give them boundaries. Nobody spanked them when they were young. I don't know. Probably a mixture of all of that. 
Jimmy couldn't do anything wrong. He got a trophy for coming in 18th out of 18. Everybody got a participation. We don't want to hurt your feelings. No, we're not playing tag anymore because somebody might be it. And you don't want to be it. We're not going to play oh, I don't know, hide and seek because that offends people. So all of a sudden you've taken away the social constructs all of us worked with our entire life. You've built a life around it. And now fast forward, kids get to college and they think they're supposed to have what? Spas, libraries that look like they belong in uh, you know, private country clubs. And the sudden closure, which until now used to be associated with some of those corrupt nonprofits, right? You guys saw them. We can teach you to be a medical assistant. Sit at home in the middle of the day in between soap operas or game shows. And what do you see? Commercials on... You can be a dental assistant in eight weeks. I never knew I could make $8 an hour. I'm so happy. Look at my uniform. And you realize that it cost them $15,000 to get an education the community college was doing for free or for 80 bucks. So those kind of institutions collapsed. We saw it. ITT Tech, Charter, those are gone. But really? Could the University of XYZ State... Could the community college district, district, multiple campuses in Alabama, Arkansas, Massachusetts, Virginia, could any of those, could it happen? I'm telling you, it's already happening. Dozens and dozens of schools are either forced to merge. Right? Boston University, a big school, big endowment, was forced to uh, merge, quote, with Wheelock College because the enrollment dropped because everybody, understand this, in the administrative system, deserves a pay raise. Hampshire College and Amherst announced in January that it's seeking to partner with another institution in order to continue operating. Right? Newberry College in Brookline announced last year that it plans to close in spring. So these are students that are halfway done with their degree. Again, you might say, eh, doesn't really matter unless you have a child who's paid for college and now you have to reroute them to another university and start all over again. Because look, how many colleges and universities don't accept upper division or you have to do a certain a minimum, 50 units, 60 units, whatever, at the upper division in order to count? You could have gone to general ed somewhere else. You could have gone to a community college. That's great. But if you want the upper division to count, you have to do X amount of classes at our institution or you don't receive a diploma with our name on it. And when that occurs, it forces people into a, a situation where they have to start all over again. Or we, we don't recognize that history 1.10. We recognize our own. So pay us. So it is not in the best in interest of these colleges and universities that have wonderful endowments, that have you know, made the right turn when everybody else kept going straight, the, the Harvards, the Yales, the Boston Colleges, the Stanfords, and on, uh, University of Texas. The, these institutions have massive endowments, hundreds of millions, or in most cases, billions of dollars. And then there's the little colleges, where there's 17 administrators for one provost and three adjunct for one real professor. Now, what does that mean? Because some of you may not know what that means. It means part-time, no benefits, no tenure, professor, 
for the one that is taking a sabbatical, traveling to the Holy Land, so they can research and study. Take a year off. Sabbatical, sabah, means seven. It's a Latin term, Arabic term. So every seven years, you're supposed to take a year off to go learn what's new, what's happening. Well, today, the information comes to you for free. You don't have to get in a plane. You don't have to charge taxpayers because ultimately that's who pays for it. And that's where I'm coming to next. You see, the student loans are guaranteed by the government. And you think the government is going to give you something for free, just like health insurance. It's given us free health insurance. I have a free Obama phone. I have free cell service. Free. No. You need to go and thank somebody who's driving a fancy car or lives in the fancy house, whomever you call rich, whatever that looks like to you. I don't care. They got their hair done. Whatever. And you need to go to that person and say, thank you. Well, why? Well, because I'm driving a Tesla and you're not. Thank you because you had to pay for it. You had to give subsidies. The state and federal government had to pay. Or you need to thank them because your child had half off tuition. Well, the professors didn't take half their pay. The janitor didn't take half his pay. The president of the college, she didn't take half her pay. So who paid the other half? The guy who lives in that fancy house down the street or who started that company from a little thing to a big thing. So please keep in mind, well, I'm not going to. How dare you say that I should thank anybody for anything because it's my, I deserve. Well, all right then. What am I going to tell you? Up is down and you're going to believe it? Of course not. If you think you just, okay, that's great. Social commentary over. And one plus one is still two. Somebody still has to pay for it. And when the government gets involved, there's, I don't know, I'm going to make up a number, six people touching one dollar. So everybody needs a piece of it. So if a dollar has to come out of the back end to pay for that professor or that janitor or the school property taxes or whatever, then maybe what? A dollar fifty, two dollars, three dollars have to go in the front door. So three dollars, for example, would have to be taxed. All the administrative uh, government officials, uh, oversight, managers, billing, uh, secretary, but, but, but all the way through takes their piece, 20 cents, 50 cents, 10 cents, whatever, so that a dollar can come out of the back end of the pipeline to pay for that teacher slash professor or whomever at the college. And so that $3 is taxed to who? To the, to the student. Now, they are not paying the student loans back. We are at 1.5 plus $1.5 trillion. $1.5 trillion in student loan debt. And we have record numbers of people not paying it. That means somebody still has to pay it. It doesn't just go away. And now that brings me to you. You're the only one with the money, right? That's why you're retired. Some of you didn't retire. You're still working. But if you have funds, then they call you the rich. And everybody hates the rich. You know that. The problem is everybody thinks somebody else is the rich, right? You heard me say that. It's like, hey, all I'd like you to do is to define it. Let's tax the rich. And everybody goes, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we have clients that have $50,000 with us. We have clients that have $5 million. It doesn't matter. Anywhere in between. And when you ask them, who are we taxing? They all think it's somebody else. 
Who's the rich? Well, it's that guy over there. Somebody who has a nicer car, lives in a nicer house, uh, a better title, whatever. They always call it somebody else. And when they say tax the rich, everybody goes, yes, we should go get those bad guys. And then one day you wake up in the morning and you turn around and everybody's standing at your door with pitchforks and, and torches. And you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing here? I'm on your side. Says Robespierre. Right? The citizen in France. Why are you all coming after me? Because every movement eventually eats itself. And this going after the rich, I'm not saying people shouldn't pay, but everybody should pay. When you have 35, 45% of Californians paying zero income tax. Zero. Now, they might pay property tax or sales tax or car registration. I get it. But so do I. Everybody pays that if you live here. If that's the case, then just don't ta- charge me income tax. The point is, when there's 40% plus of people not paying income tax in the state of California, they all think everybody else should pay. Not always. But what they do is this. They say, well, look at me. If I can barely get by, and this is the car I drive, the house I live, the way I eat, and I'm a pretty good person. In fact, I I think I'm a really good person. I love God and puppy dogs and walks in the park. And if I work really hard, 10 and 12 hours, and I don't have the same thing that that guy over there has, but I work hard and I'm a good person. Therefore, the only difference is That guy must not work hard and or must not be a good person. So, of course, we want to take from them. They probably did something wrong because I didn't do anything wrong. I live on an honest way and I don't have that kind of wealth. I don't have that kind of lifestyle. So my concern is as you are retired and you have money, wealth, dollars, the expectation of somebody taxing you, coming after you, calling you a, a, a person in a way that does not have value, worth, rights, somebody who does not have the same ways to protect. Harvard Business School is now saying that as many as half of all universities will close or go bankrupt in the next 10 years. I think we're going to see it sooner, and here's why. It's, for me, it's just a math problem. It's, it's a... Uh, it's almost like you know an exit. The doors are small and thin. So the first one through the exit door can get out cleanly and simply. But if there's a fire and everybody's trying to get out of the exit as quick as possible, we can't all fit through the door at the same time, so we have to take our turns, which means the longer we stay in the room, the further the decline, the greater the scrutiny, the bigger the problem. So I think once people start to see an exit happening in the colleges and universities, and we are starting to see it, I think it's an acceleration, almost like a bell curve. Five Campus University of Massachusetts system, which has $874 million endowment, has now launched an online degree program specifically to address immediate workforce and target adults who have some college credits but have never earned a bachelor's degree. They never did that before. That was beneath them. That was those, uh, oh, I don't know, cheesy universities over in the corner, right, from Wisconsin. <laughs> it's the, it's the, the low-class university online that, that have 5 million students and nobody cares, right? Not anymore. Fairly prestigious, 
University of Massachusetts, says we need to do what we have to do to stay afloat, stay relevant, get our piece of the pie. Whether it's fewer students attending school, because we don't have necessarily a, a dramatically greater amount of colleges and universities. We do over the last hundred years. Certainly there's more today than there were a hundred years ago or maybe even 80 years ago. It's the systems are so bloated. Everybody wants their peace. Everybody likes summers off and two weeks, three weeks at Christmas. Everybody likes their, their Easter break. Stuff you don't get in a normal job. Everybody wants that. And if you can get to the place where you are trying to figure out how to live and you, and you see, well, I could be off summers with my kids. My kids get to go to college for free. Right? If you're a university employee, you realize your kids attend this college for, for free. Whatever the college, private school, public, you know, there's a, it's not quite the same in public, but there is, there is some benefits. I had friends who used to retire from the police department and go get a job at USC so their kids could go to college with 10 units, whatever it was, 12 units for free. And they would work there for four years, eight years, 10 years, whatever, until all their kids are out of school. And then they would retire from there and go live their life. And their kids received a USC education. So it's part of a strategy. It's part of a, a lifestyle. But that's going to be taken away. And if the state or the federal government starts to bail out the state or the private institutions, you are the one with money. So just be careful. I think part of the challenge is, look, taxes are an expense that you don't receive anything for. You've heard me talk about fees inside of your retirement accounts. I don't like those. Why? Because you're just paying for it. You don't get a, a faster transaction. You, you don't get the, uh, the better company. By paying a fee, the fee is the fee is the fee. There's no value. There's no return back in your pocket. Okay, so I need you to understand that part of the challenge for you is to keep your eyes open in the future as to what can come down the pipe to impact. Whether that is this parcel tax that we always hear, it's for the children. I always tell my kids, and, and when I speak at different events, I say, if you ever see a bond measure and it says anything like this, it's for the children, clean air, clean water, or old people. Now they're adding nurses and firemen because they've done some polling, and you guys like nurses and firemen, especially if there was a recent big wildfire and they, and they can run an election. They, they immediately make some adjustments. It's for firefighting, for fire. Ooh, I like those people. And I don't want bad water. I want clean water. Right? You, you're going to really vote on one that says, this is, uh, this is because we've messed up for the last 40 years in our pension system. Um, and uh, teachers need to retire by the age of 60 or 65. And we need to take money from you who've never had a pension in your life. We need to take money from you who's worked at uh, six, eight, ten jobs and had to save for your own retirement account. We need to take money from you so that the teacher, the policeman, the fireman can retire at 55 years old or 65 years old, travel the world, live a life, and make, well, probably more than they did when they were working. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sign up for that. They have to say it's for the children. 
It's for pencils. Pencils and flashcards. And you go, gosh, they're running out of pencils? Show me en route. I'm there. (laughs) I'm going to deliver a bag of pencils to the local elementary school. But they do the same thing they did with the lotto. You remember this? It's for education. It's for the children. Lotto. I know some of you may have a gambling problem, but you'll get through it because it's for the children. Some of you are going to take money. You have no business buying your $5. It's only $5 every week. Now they do twice a week, three, I don't know, what is it? Three times a week, there's a lotto. It's only $5. Just do the math on that. It's four, five, six hundred $600 a year in some cases. You, you can't tell me you can't help save, get out of debt, pay off some bills. Saving that, I don't know, maybe. So they convince you it's for the children. And then what do you do? You vote for it. And I'm going to give an example because I know that I'm, I'm not going to be right exactly the numbers. I wasn't there. In the, in the, uh, I was there as a voter, but I wasn't there as a legislator. So here's what they did. Let's say there's $100 million for, for uh, schools. And then what they did on the other side is they came along and they said, oh, the lotto gave us $10 million. So instead of you having $110 million in a budget for the schools, they went to the $100 million. They, they dropped it down to 90. They took money from the schools. They put the lotto money back in and brought it right back up to 100 and we're back where we started. Maybe they added a few kernels, you know, I don't know, $50,000. And then the politicians in Sacramento took the money that was originally already in the budget and they took it and they, I don't know what they did with it. They took it. So you need to watch yourself. Be involved. Be engaged. Get out there. Pay attention. Because you are the only one that can stop this mess. Because when you are retired, you cannot go back to work and make the same kind of money that you were making. Maybe one of you can, six, ten. It's not normal. That's why they have other jobs that people do. So pay attention. You have to watch your retirement accounts. You have to watch the taxes and the the politicians, because they're the ones with the hands in your pocket. Hey, give me a call anytime. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. I'm Arif Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. Learn about financial power, the total financial. 